Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Uh, We're looking today at the uh, end of uh, chapter 13. This is our fourth week in this chapter 13 of the book of Acts. Uh, Don't worry, next week we're going to be moving on to the next chapter. uh, But we're going to be looking at the last few verses today. Um, Mark last week did a great job of setting setting the scene. Uh, that Paul and Barnabas, they've gone to this town called um, Antioch in Pisidia, in in modern-day Turkey. and, uh, And Paul has preached in the synagogue uh, there, and delivered essentially a kind of a a potted history of God's work with the Jews, finishing off with um, Jesus, really, and saying, you know, this is what Jesus has done. And and today we're going to look at the effect that Paul's word had on those who who heard. Uh, But before I do, I just want to tell you um, uh, another story that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I received an email. I was at work and I got an email through uh, saying, uh, you went and saw the movie Jason Bourne in July, which I did. Uh, You all know the Bourne films, Jason Bourne, Matt Damon, kind of action hero kind of guy. said, you went and saw this film in July. And when you went, uh, because you booked online, you were automatically entered into a competition. I was like, oh, well, I didn't know that. I said, and you won. And you've won a Jason Bourne watch. This is not a joke. This is serious. I've won a watch. I was like, no, I don't enter competitions. I never enter anything. I just, I just don't. And so this was like, oh, well, that's kind of nice. A bit of a blessing. Um, but I had three choices, really. I could, I could look at the email and I could say, oh, maybe it's not true. Maybe it's one of those scams and just kind of reject it. Oh, I don't believe it. It's not, not true. Or I can look at, read this email and say, okay, well, maybe it's true, but... I don't really care, I've got an Apple watch. Why would I want a Jason Bourne watch? And then, or I could receive the email and go, yay, I've won something. That is amazing. And that's exactly what I did. I was very happy. <laughs> I've won something. And I went home and it was life group that night and I shared the joy with the life group. I've won a watch, everyone. And then last week, my watch arrived. And here it is on my other wrist. Look at that. Amazing. And what's great is, on the face, it says Jason Bourne on it. And so when I wear it, I'm just like Jason Bourne. Don't mess with me or this pen, or you know what would happen. Okay, but we know that whenever the, the word of God is shared, just like I had a choice of how I responded, we have a choice of how we respond to the word of God. And uh, again, with there's three ways we can either hear it, 
and say, actually, I don't believe it. I reject it. Or that's just not for me right now. Or that just doesn't fit in my life, actually. Or we can receive it and we could say, um, yep, um, I believe it. I love it. I'm going to put it into action. And great, I'm going to live my life differently because of what I've heard. Or we can receive it with indifference. We can say, yeah, okay, well, that's true. Um, but not really going to affect how I live my life. I'm just going to carry on doing what I've, what I've always done. And really, that's, I would say that's almost the worst response. And actually, I'm guilty of that sometimes. And maybe you are too, responding with a little bit of indifference when we hear the word of God. In effect, saying, yes, I believe that that word that I've just heard is true, but I'm just going to carry on living the same way. Now, in the book of Revelation, there's... Um, there's a message that goes, or seven different messages to seven different churches. And one of them was a message to the church in Laodicea. And it confronts this kind of issue with this indifferent culture. And it says this, uh, God talking, uh, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. Again, this is talking to a church, okay, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth that's quite hard that's quite a hard truth right there saying I know um, your deeds you, you haven't rejected me but you really haven't fully accepted me either and maybe some of us here are a bit like that maybe some of us here are a little bit lukewarm on certain things and it's time to just dial that temperature up a bit you know and say yeah actually God if I believe what you say is true I ought to live differently And again, another example, if we look all the way through Scripture, we see so many great promises of God. And often we know these promises, we know these things that he's saying to us, but we don't fully live them out. Uh, For example, I was, uh, this week, it was was our week of prayer and fasting, and I was doing a full fast, or drinking water, and it got, I shared this with the prayer meeting actually on on Wednesday, but it got to um, the middle of the week, and I had a really rough day. I was feeling nauseous and I was feeling lightheaded and dizzy. And it got to that evening and I went into the kitchen and I opened the cupboard and there was a packet of super noodles. And I looked at those super noodles and I, and I took them out and I cooked them and then I ate those super noodles. <laughs> and I felt better. <laughs> For a moment. Yeah. And then the guilt... The guilt. And the condemnation and the shout, oh man, I've got to go to the prayer meeting. I've got to lead the prayer meeting tomorrow, all those people who are fasting. And, and I've just eaten super noodles. And it's really, it's really not right. Um, and then God reminded me of this great scripture, that there is no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I know this scripture. I, I, really, I know this. This is in me. I believe it. But for a little while there... I hadn't even sinned. I'd just broken the fast, you know? I'd just eaten super noodles. It's not that, <laughs> not the end of the world, is it, really? Um, and, you know, I was like, and I had to come to God, I'm so sorry, God. Not for eating the super noodles, but for feeling con- condemnation. That's not, what you, that's not what you want for me. And maybe you feel like that sometimes. You feel shame and you feel guilt and you feel condemned about something that you've done. That's not what we're supposed to feel, guys. Or let's take another scripture. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Maybe none of us ever feel fear. I wish that were true. 
We do sometimes. What about, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's a great scripture. If I truly believe that, would my life look differently? Am I content just to simply know it without actually putting it into practice? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's some great truths in Romans 8. Just read that chapter and just, if we can take that on board, we should live a free and abundant life. We've got a distance to go. I know I've got a lot to grow. And um, I want to live fully that life. So Paul, then, he's delivered this, this great message to the Jews in the synagogue and the, and the Jewish followers. Uh, he's brought the good news. And he's brought his hearers on this journey, saying, look, this is your history. This is where God intervened at all these stages. And this is what Jesus has done for you. Uh, let's just look at their first response, which is really good. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Now, right there, that is a win, isn't it? That is really good. They're going to come back. Yeah, we want you to come back and talk to us again on that. And um, yeah, that's kind of as much as you can ask sometimes. Yeah, first-time visitor comes back the next week. That's a win right there. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So it says that some of these guys, they actually followed Paul and Barnabas. And here's another truth, actually. It's not wrong to have people following you as long as you're going in the right direction and pointing them to God. Just like um, Mark, in his testimony last week, when, you know, Mark, who got baptized in the second service, he spoke about how he started really following Alex. Where's Alex? Where are you? There you are at the back there. He said his first... His first introduction to God was following Alex. And, and then it was Alex and the little child family who pointed Mark directly to God. And now he's here. He's come through and he got baptized last week. And he's, he's kind of going for it. That's a good thing. Having people follow us. What did Paul say? Imitate me as I imitate God. Or follow me as I follow God. Yeah, there's a truth. There. It's not wrong to have people following us. And we know that on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And let's look at what happens now because it goes a bit downhill. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and they heaped abuse on him. Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first, but since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. What a different response. These are the same people who had heard them the previous week And it wasn't the message they had a problem with. It says they saw the crowds and they were filled with jealousy. So they saw all these other people who hadn't been in the synagogue the previous week or the weeks or the months before that. And this angered them. This made them cross that these people had just come into the synagogue. People who didn't belong. People who really, they felt, had no right to be there. People who thought they could just turn up and be accepted and claim all these promises that Paul and Barnabas were talking about. People who didn't look like them or act like them. I wonder, have you ever been a place or a church where you felt a bit like that, where you felt, actually, I just, I don't really belong, particularly in church. If you go to some churches, you, you walk in and everything stops and they all look at you and you, and you, oh gosh, I don't feel like I've quite belong here. 
maybe you're looking at me right now and it's kind of dressed like that. Really, should you be preaching? It's kind of, it's not the right look for a preacher. Where's your tie? Where's your black robes? When I grew up in a, in a church, in a traditional church, the guy always, the guy on the platform, on the pulpit, always had black robes. Maybe I need to get some black robes. Um, but maybe you've been in a church where you don't feel welcome or you've accidentally sat on a pew that clearly is somebody else's seat. Yeah? I've actually been in a church where they've actually got engraved name tags on their seats. You know, if you've been here for 20 years or more, you get your own seat. Um, and in fact, I was in the church this year um, at a service and I, I think I must have sat on somebody's seat because this lady came up and she virtually sat on my lap. <laughs> this older lady, she was like right there. She had so much space the other side of her and she just sat here. Okay. Giving me these grim looks like, I've been coming to this church for 30 years and I sat here, I'm going to sit here. And it's just kind of gradually, and threw was here against the edge and we were kind of both squashed in. Um, Deeply unhappy that I'd ruined everything by coming to their church. I don't think we're like that here. I hope we're not. Um, And I think let's never be like that. Anyway, the fact that all these new people had turned into the synagogue, this wound up the Jewish believers. This wound up um, the Jewish community and filled them with jealousy. And there's a lot of scriptures that talk about this idea of, of jealousy regarding the Gentiles. And we know that when we're jealous, it makes us do things that aren't particularly godly that aren't particularly right. It leads to sadness and destruction. I heard a story about uh, two shopkeepers who really didn't like each other. They faced each other across the road. They both owned the same sort of shop, and they would eye each other across the road, thinking, oh, I'm going to get more customers than you. And every time a customer went in there, the other shopkeeper's um, shop, they would be looking out the window, oh, get feeling all angry. And when the shopkeeper came into theirs, they would walk outside and smile condescendingly at the other guy. And one day, an angel came to visit a shopkeeper, and said to the shopkeeper, look, God has decided to, to bless you, and he's decided to give you anything that you ask for, but whatever you ask for, the other shopkeeper's going to receive double. So the shopkeeper thinks about it for a while, then says, I know, make me blind in one eye. <laughs> oh, yes. Jealousy, it leads to bad decisions. When we're, when we're envious, when, we are, when we're jealous of somebody else, it's not a good place to be in. What we're going to do, we're going to pull out three key truths from this scripture uh, today. And hopefully, as we do, it will, it will help us to see kind of truths that maybe this Jewish community had forgotten or misunderstood. And maybe some truths that we also sometimes misunderstand or forget. And it will help us kind of move on. So my first truth then today, the good news spreads wider than we expect. It was always God's plan to save the whole world. This wasn't a new idea. God hadn't changed his mind in the New Testament. He hadn't suddenly gone, oh, I know, I'm going to move you know, away from uh, the kind of just, the, just the Israelites and I'm going to include everybody now. It was always his plan. There's plenty of scriptures that tell us that. Um, and all the Jewish, all these guys had to do was look in their scriptures, look in the Torah or in the Psalms or in the prophets. They would see this truth 
that many, many, many times throughout Scripture. Uh, so, for example, uh, Genesis 12, verse 3, all nations of the earth will be best blessed through Abraham. We know that God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to everybody in the whole world. In the Psalms, all the nations will come and worship before you, Lord, bringing glory to your name. In Isaiah, the nations will come to your light. In Hosea, this is God talking through the prophet, I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. There's so many more. There's, there's loads and loads of scriptures that I could have pulled out. It was absolutely the plan from the beginning that God would make salvation available to everybody, to all. And Jesus, while, on, while he was on this earth, he recognized this contrast between the way that the kind of religious leaders and the religious authorities kind of approached God's kingdom. They wanted exclusivity. And, and it's why they hated him. I mean, he challenged it really, really big time. And they hated They felt, oh God, he's, he's moving the goalpost. He's, he's, you know, he's changing everything. But really he wasn't. All he was doing was fulfilling what he'd already said was going to happen. In John 8, we read about Jesus talking to, um, actually talking to some guys, some of these um, religious leaders who believed in Jesus. And he said to the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching. Now that word hold, it means if you remain, if you reside, if you continue to walk, kind of ongoing, if you walk in my teaching, um, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Essentially, you'll become a free man. Or it's, it's, it's talking about being free from slavery. So you, if you, know, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free from slavery. And obviously, they, they had a, um, a problem with this. You know, um, because Jesus is saying, I want you to be free. And you'll only be free when you know the truth. And you'll only know the truth if you continue to walk in my teaching, you've got to continue to. It's not a, not a case of knowing my teaching or believing my teaching. You've got to continue to walk in my teaching for you to be free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone, which is actually not true anyway. If you look back at Egypt and if you look at you know, them being into exile, um, how can you say that we shall be set free? So they had a problem with, with him saying you're going to be set free because they thought, look, we're not slaves. And so he explains a bit further. He says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you're going to be free indeed. So he explains what he means by you're in slavery because you sin. If you sin, then you're a slave to sin. And it's only by applying the truths that you continue to walk in that you can become free. And actually, later on in this passage, Jesus really rips into them a few verses later. He actually calls them you know, children of the devil. He really goes for it. Um, and because he saw this contrast between what he knew about his father's kingdom and what he saw about the way that they lived their life. And um, this contrast is also what we see in this synagogue right now in Turkey. So it leads the Jewish community not only to reject the teaching of Paul, but actually to actively persecute them and eventually kick them out of the city. Um, because they either didn't understand or they had forgotten or they didn't like that it was God's plan 
to save everybody. Because we know that the good news extends wider than we think. And we also need to remember this. The good news of Jesus is for everyone. It's not just for people who look like us. It's not just for folk that we like or for people who like the same things that that we do. That's so nice to get together with people like that. But the good news is much wider than that. From the from the worst sinner in the world. I want you to just actually do a little exercise right now. I want you to picture in your mind who you think the worst person in the world is. I don't want you to look at anybody in this room because that might put them off. Okay, just picture in your mind who you think the worst person in the world. You're all looking at me. No, sorry. Um, who you think the worst person in the world is, either in a history or beyond. Just, just have them in your imagination right now. And then I want you to remember that the good news of Jesus is for them, is for that very person. And if they were to come to Jesus, he has died for their sins. If they were to accept him, he would make them righteous in the sight of God and give them an eternity with him. Now I want you to think of, actually, the nicest person. You can look at me now. Uh, You can think of the nicest person that you can imagine, the nicest person you can think of, okay? The absolute best person. Hold that in your mind and then remember that the good news of Jesus is for that person as well. And in fact, they need it just as much as that other person you thought of. They don't need it any less. They need it just as much. Okay? God's good news, the goodness of Jesus is for everyone. And it spreads wider than we expect. That's my first key truth. The second key truth, God's grace extends further than we understand. So, again, the guys in the synagogue, they had a very, uh, a very narrow tunnel vision of, of God's mercy. And it was, in effect, a, I guess you would call it a works-based view of salvation. It was based on doing the right things. In order to be saved, you had to say the right things, do the right things, be a good person, live according to all the laws, make yourself right before God so that he would accept you. <coughs> And Paul replies to them, he sees them thinking this, and he says something interesting. He says, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. A strange thing to say. He doesn't say, since you're having a go at me, since you're having a go at the Gentiles, since you're not accepting them, then you're not going to have it. He's saying, since you don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, because they have this works-based view of salvation. And of course, on one level, we know that actually there's some truth in that. We're none of us on our own. None of us are worthy for the salvation that is offered to us. So again, we have this choice. Do we realize and do we accept that we're not worthy of eternal life? And it makes us keep trying even harder to be good, to be worthy, to do the right things, to become the right person. Or do we accept actually that's never going to work? And so we come to the conclusion there's only really one way open to us, which is to accept salvation through Jesus. He himself said that he is the only way. He's the only way. And it's the way that many of us live out our Christian walk. We say, on one hand, that we accept God's salvation through Jesus, and yet we find ourselves drawn to a religious attitude of trying to earn it again. And it's what the, um, the pastor of, of Life Church, uh, Craig Grishel, in a book, he calls uh, Christian atheism. Christian atheism, which sounds a bit odd, those two words together. But he's saying you, 
Um, you profess to be a follower of Jesus, but you're not truly walking in the grace and freedom that he offers. And um, so he calls that Christian atheism. This is almost actually a default position. We have to guard against this on a daily basis. I certainly know I do, because it's, it's so easy to get just caught up in, oh, if I do the right things, if I don't eat those super noodles, then it's all going to be fine. You know? And we get caught in the religious mindset. It's so easy to do that. And we have to actively pursue a grace mindset. So it bothered these, uh, this community that the Gentile crowds, they hadn't lived the right life. They hadn't been obeying the commandments. They hadn't been following God's laws. They had just turned up one Sabbath and they expected to be accepted into God's family. And as far as the Jews were concerned, this wasn't fair. I was going to tell you a story to illustrate this. There was a boss of a company who needed... Uh, some workers. So he goes out at six o'clock in the morning, sees a crowd of guys and says, would you come and work for me for the day? If you come and work for me for the day, I'm going to give you a hundred pounds. And the guys go, yep, great. And so he puts them to work. But he wants more. So he goes out again at nine o'clock and gets more. And then at midday, and then at three o'clock in the afternoon, then at five o'clock again in the afternoon, bringing more people in, getting them uh, to work. And then at six o'clock, he goes to the workers and he says, okay, that's it. We're all done. Rings the bell, finished. You can finish now. And he gives them all a wage packet. And as they open their envelope, they all find a hundred pounds in there. And of course, the guys who had started later in the day, particularly the guys at five o'clock, they're like ecstatic. hundred pounds, we only worked an hour. That is amazing. What, that is great news. The guys who started at six, on the other hand, they're like, whoa, hold on a minute. That's just not fair. How can the guys who work for an hour Get the same as the guys, us, who've worked for the whole day. We've worked for 12 hours, and you've paid us the same. They've got a point, haven't they? It's just not fair. It doesn't make sense. But that's God's grace. We can't equate God's grace with fairness, because it's not. This is a physical story that represents a spiritual truth. And if we don't accept this truth, then we will never find true freedom. We won't be able to. Without accepting grace, we're going to be filled with jealousy. In this story, which as I'm sure you're all aware, is paraphrased from one of uh, Jesus's uh, parables, it was never about the, the work that they did. That was not what it was about. It was about the boss wanting as many people. He's wanting to reward as many people, bring as many people in as he possibly could. He wants to bless us. He wants to bring into his kingdom. Anyone who came to him, he accepted. And the spiritual truth here is that we need to accept that we don't deserve anything from God because of what we do. When we come to him, we need to remember that he has ultimately chosen us. He has chosen us and chosen to bless us with eternal life. And we're all in the same boat. No matter how long we've chosen to follow him, no matter we've been doing on this journey, no matter how good we think we are, the playing field is level. And it's... It's kind of a human nature to try and work out who deserves it more and who deserves it less. Let me give you another illustration. Um, uh, Vlad, would you mind just standing on your chair for a second? Okay, it's a bit odd, I know. Thank you, you willing participant. Now, Vlad and I are here. Let's say, imagine that we are outside in the burning hot sun in the Sahara Desert. And Vlad's there, and I'm here. Now, Would you say, obviously, Vlad is closer to the sun because he's standing on a chair. So he's going to feel hotter than I am. Is that true? 
Not really. You can take a sit down there. <laughs> That's how other people feel like to me, I think, normally. Um, so, obviously, it's not true. Why is it not true? Because, well, the distance to the sun, the difference that makes is negligible, isn't it? It doesn't make any difference, just that small amount. That's what it's like when we come to God with all our good deeds, all our good works. What does he call our good deeds? He says, they're filthy rags. They're filthy rags, actually, your righteousness. It makes no difference, actually. It has no, no impact on your closeness to the sun. Okay, because um, the difference is negligible. And this is the problem that the, the uh, uh, Jews in Antioch have. Romans 3, 22 to 24 says, This righteousness is not given through works, it's given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Thank goodness, it's a level playing field. We're all the same. All have sinned, and any who comes to him are justified And this makes no sense to this Jewish community. How can other nations be saved who haven't been living the right life, who haven't followed the commandments that God gave them? How can can someone who has lived a dreadful, sinful, evil life come to Jesus on his deathbed and receive salvation in the same way as someone who has followed Jesus all their life and received the salvation of God? It's not fair, but that is grace. That is grace. It, it goes further and extends further than we can possibly imagine. So the good news, God is waiting for us to come to him and simply accept what he is offering, his grace. His grace that extends further than we can understand, his grace which offers us the forgiveness of sins and an eternity with Jesus. Okay, so that's our first two truths. Our, our third and our final truth, God's forgiveness reaches deeper than we imagine. God's forgiveness reaches deeper than we imagine. When the Gentiles heard this, you know, Paul saying, I'm going to take my truth now to the Gentiles, they were glad and they honoured the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed to eternal life believed. So the Gentiles, some of them, they believed, and through that belief they were given eternal life. All we have to do is come to him. We don't have to fully understand it but we can still accept that God's grace and God's forgiveness exists and it exists at a level sometimes that is difficult to imagine, difficult to comprehend. Uh, And the Bible says um, that uh, his forgiveness he offers to all of us. If we accept it, he offers it to us. I like how it's put in the parable of the prodigal son. We all know the story well. A rude and disrespectful kind of younger son asked for his inheritance early, which was such a diss to the father, saying, I want my inheritance now, even before you die. Um, And he goes off to a distant land, and he squanders it all on wild and extravagant living, and he ends up starving hungry, looking after pigs, and wanting to eat the pig's food. We all know the story, I'm sure. And then the Bible says he's there, and it says he comes to his senses. He has a bit of an epiphany moment. The light goes on. He's like, oh, what am I doing here? I can go back to my father and become one of his slaves. Actually, I, don't, I, sh- I shouldn't be his son now because I, I messed up, but I, I can come back to him as one of his slaves and I'll be treated better than this. So, um, and it says while he's a long way off, he's on his way back and he's rehearsing his lines. He's going through what he's going to say to his dad. 
But it says his father sees him while he's a long way off and he runs to him and embraces him and he kisses him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Celebrate? Celebrate. Meanwhile, we know in the story there is an older brother who has been out working and he never left home. He received a kind of portion of the inheritance, but he never left home. He kept working for his father. He patiently waited, and he comes in and he says to his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And I'm guessing that that's how the the uh, kind of Jewish community in that synagogue felt just like that. How can the father accept these Gentiles who have been off doing their own thing, following other gods, not following the law? They've never obeyed the commandments. They've been off doing their own thing. Now they come back and God the father simply forgives them. What is that? And not just forgives them, he throws a party. He wants to celebrate that's just not fair. He's, how could he possibly do that? I think they're missing the point that God's love is just so wide and his forgiveness is so wide that there is no one too far. He will always come after the lost sheep, always. And let's uh, just finish by looking at actually what the father gave to his son. Band, would you mind just coming up? And um, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. So he gave him a robe and put it on him. He gave him a ring, put it on his finger, gave him sandals on his feet, and he killed the fattened calf. I just want to explore those things at the father because actually there's some underlying truths in there that we can understand. Uh, First of all, the robe. A robe speaks of righteousness. It speaks of Salvation. It speaks of a covering for all the wrong things that we have done. In Isaiah 61.10 it says, For he has clothed me with garments of salvation, and he has covered me with robe of righteousness. So the robe that he puts, the Father puts on the Son indicates that the Son is now righteous before him. The ring. The ring speaks of the Son's identity, really, and um, his authority, we know that in, in, in times gone by and in biblical times, the ring, you know, was, the signet ring was a symbol. You, know, you would use it to sign important documents. And like, like Pharaoh did to Joseph, he gave him his ring, and it meant that Joseph, whenever Joseph made a proclamation, it was as if the Pharaoh himself spoke because he had the Pharaoh's ring. And when you have the person, it's like almost the divine credit card. He's saying, you can use my ring. Now you have authority to, um, to live the kingdom life and to bring my kingdom here on earth this is you know, your new identity John uh, 1.12 yet to all who receive him to those who believed in his name he gave them the right to become children of God he also gave him sandals sandals um, if we read earlier in the parable it tells us that the 
the son who went away, he hired himself out. Essentially, he made himself a slave to somebody in that distant country. And when, uh, in those days, when you made yourself a slave, they took your shoes, they took your sandals away from you to stop you running away. You now belong to me. You're now my slave, so I'm going to keep your shoes. And he comes back to the father, and the father gives him a pair of sandals. It's given him his freedom. He's saying, you're not a slave anymore. John 8, we read this already today. A slave has no permanent place, but a son belongs to the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You've been given sandals. Peace and joy comes from knowing that we are free. And because we are free, we're content to stay in his presence. And lastly, he gives him the fattened calf. He kills the fattened calf. Which speaks of celebration and joy and abundance. In Luke 15, 10, it says, There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And if there is any part of us, even just a small part of us, that is trying to work our way into God's good books, then we really haven't understood his forgiveness. We really haven't understood his grace. We really haven't understood the good news that he's given us. And that's going to make it hard for us to accept others who come in as well, who we think aren't as good as we are. We need to understand the capacity of God to forgive us. We need to understand the depth of his grace and mercy. And we need to receive the good news that is available to everyone. And when we do, it should cause us to simply celebrate. Celebrate, just like the angels do. We're going to sing a song right now and then... I'll come back and we'll do um, have a little response for us this morning. <laughs>